0: Hello, listeners. Hello, Matt, and welcome to God versus God, the podcast where we are very slowly <laughs> and painstakingly trying to save the world uh, by creating a new pantheon of artisanally selected ancient deities to come back and save us all. And this episode, we have a classic all-time battle: mm. cats versus dogs. Well, or, or dog adjacent. Dog adjacent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Best set. <laughs> the Egyptian cat goddess versus anubis the jackal-headed God right uh so symbolically there, there's a lot riding on this uh so in prepping for this episode I have to admit I've already heard a little bit from the cat Lobby yeah oh, uh, oh m- maybe some threats some <laughs> intimate intimidation uh bribes and that's just my 14 year old daughter so
1: (laughs) yeah this position is not without its risks you're discovering that
0: yeah very much so um but we do have our sacred podcast duty that we need to stay honest and fair uh that's right and so we'll get into it in in just a little bit i did want to mention one other thing because we sort of teased uh in the last episode if people can remember that far back that uh we were going to meet Face to face. That is that's uh, what we said. That is correct. That is, that is what we said, and and that was the intention. That did not happen. Did um, not. It, yeah, uh, unfortunate events. But we're gonna we're gonna make up for that soon. So that's right. Uh, I think you had something else you wanted well, to. Well, yes,
1: and it is related to that, Andrew. So yes, uh, despite my rosy predictions, we were not able to uh, complete our union. Uh, sadly, just a few days before the trip, I managed to contract the plague. Uh, right. Not only that, you know, three years late, long after it was out of fashion. Uh, But, you know, after all that time, the fates finally had their say and my time came. So we had to postpone our reunion. Uh, We will still make that happen in August. So after that, of course, I then took a long vacation, you know, needed to head to a sanitarium and properly convalesce. Uh, So yes, attentive listeners will have noticed that we did have a little extra time between episodes this round. Uh, On the plus side, my assumption is that Everyone has now taken advantage of that time and is fully caught up on yes. the episode. So every reference to all 19 past episodes, <laughs> fully top of mind for everybody listening. Um, so, yeah, with that, uh, that explanation, that out of the way, now that we are all we're all current, um, plague free, tanned, rested, ready. <laughs> let's uh, let's kick it. Let's get going. God versus God. Season two, episode five, Bastet versus Anubis. And
0: and. It's been a and while all- I,
1: it's always good to, to say it may the best yeah. god
0: win <laughs> and may the best god win that's uh, right you are first uh, my friend that's right i'm starting us off so and i have uh bastet and uh, she is of course the cat goddess but she was was more than that more than a cat goddess she was a protector of women protector of the home goddess of fertility she's one of those eye of raw goddesses that we've become familiar with right um But she was, yes, most often depicted as a woman with a cat's head Mm -hmm. or or on occasion as a full cat. And that is a spoiler, of course, for what I'm about to show Matt, show (laughs) him a picture of Bastet uh, that he's going to describe for our listeners, kind of bring them up to speed. Uh, And this is a painting I'm going to switch us over uh, now. So to describe this for the listener, so it looks like we've got a, as you
1: mentioned, uh, the head of a cat, uh, the body of a female, and a a rather well-fit, well lithe body it is, um, below the the cat-like head. (laughs) Uh, You've got a very nice uh, form-fitting kind of white sort of dress slash tunic. Um again, that familiar posture, of course, sort of looking to the side. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it looks like that dress is so low cut that uh, that one nipple appears to be even
0: popping out. So it's yeah,
1: amazing. it was a little poppage little, yeah, free the nipple. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh,
0: so <laughs> wardrobe malfunction. yeah, yeah, I'm a little wardrobe malfunction. Yeah.
1: It looks like she's got some kind of uh, ear decor, some kind of uh, almost a piece of knotted earring type thing up by her cat's ear um expectedly holding the ankh in in would be i guess her her near hand but then on the other hand looks like she's holding if i'm not mistaken is that a a cistern
0: that um, is a cistern yes
1: okay so the cistern right yes the the instrument we've talked about a few times this season the sort of shaky almost percussive thing that for some reason had some sort of big erotic charge yes. to it in the in the ancient egyptian ear right um so yeah sistrum has got a little head yeah. on it um that's kind of what i got yeah that's it
0: that's it yeah I like to call it the sex rattle
1: sex rattle um, yes that's
0: right and she, she is holding a sex rattle. she's holding the ankh yes. uh it's got the uh feline head uh kind of a grayish looking cat yeah uh in this and, and you know that's I think kind of when we show this we'll share this on social media but I think this kind of image is going to be uh more or less uh familiar to people of yep. this this is kind of this is what she's all about so she
1: cuts quite a profile I'll give her that
0: that she does you know and and I think that seductive um depiction of her uh despite the cat head uh is going to play into how she was thought of uh by the ancient Egyptians and and some of the myths that we are we're going to hear about her
1: excellent
0: so uh, you know name wise originally in ancient Egyptian her her name was probably Ubast or Bast Uh, without the extra syllable at the end um and that is probably related to the word for ointment jar Mm -hmm. uh which not a lot of connection between cats and ointment jars but uh that that's that's where they Egyptology comes from and interestingly originally you know it was spelled with an extra T on it Mm. however apparently that was not meant for that extra syllable that we give it today that Bastet okay. uh, the the T on it was uh sort of a a cue to ancient Egyptians who often dropped uh the T in their pronunciation that they should should pronounce it uh, so okay. uh you know me living here in Boston I kind of picture it like uh some sort of elementary school in Boston where they tack on a bunch of extra r's <laughs> <and> <laughs> at the <laughs> end of words, so, so kids, car.
1: yes yes so
0: kids can finally <laughs> emphasize that point yeah pronounce that R. I wish uh, them luck
1: the teachers of Boston <laughs> with that
0: one no yes. chance no proud proudly so <laughs> so I'm gonna give you a couple I like to give uh, some of the epithets uh that these ancient Egyptian gods had sure they kind of think it it helps us uh understand what the ancient Egyptians thought thought of these deities um so one of hers was she of the ointment jar which mm-hmm. again that that kind of relates back to the the name the beautiful one or okay. the golden one all right uh lady of the east or goddess of the rising sun mm. uh, now that's probably an association with her father autumn Ra. um but also could be based on my own experience who i, I have to say i do own a cat and uh oh. based on the habit of cats to wake you up at dawn uh in order to be fed even on the week even on the weekends so yeah. that that maybe the Egyptians had that same experience and then and <laughs> they Can don't respect we do
1: the weekend calendar I guess no
0: they did not the Bastet does not at, okay. at, as the cats don't so beautiful sistrum player is mm-hmm. another is another uh epithet she had uh she had a couple of epithets um, around her being a protective goddess, uh, which is something we're going to hear about. Mm-hmm. And uh, my favorite of that one was, was very specific. It's Bastet, who keeps knife wielding demons from entering. Okay. So, you know, demons that had a club, <laughs> Come fire, on, shooting fire. But, uh, no, Do your keeping worst. the knives out. <laughs>
1: And just don't so, enter. Do what you want out there, but you're not yeah, coming in here. But, yeah. but
0: you're, you stay outside the house. So that's right. <laughs> you
1: gotta uh, have
0: a niche, right? So a couple of epithets uh, that that reflect on her popularity. uh One was, she with the perfect face. No, oh, that's nice. She with a pleasant smell. Mm-hmm. So these are all these are all pretty nice. I was gonna say it's got a good yeah. PR
1: team or something. Yeah, this is yeah this
0: definitely is very positive. And, and then uh, uh finally, she she had one that was. uh she in whose vicinity Splendor is okay so, so she was she was Splendor adjacent it's Splendor adjacent <laughs> perhaps not entirely <laughs> Splendid herself but certainly among Splendor yeah she was, she was around Splendor so um you know so I, I should say that the Bastet wasn't always actually pictured uh with a domestic cat's head okay uh, in, in fact originally she was most often depicted with a lioness head Mm. um Much like Tefnut from episode two, mm-hmm. or Sekhmet, who, who we've met a couple of times, who was the goddess of destruction. Mm. Uh, so the earliest representations that they found of Bastet go back to 2800 BCE. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pretty long time. And then from then until about 900 BCE, almost 2,000 years, uh, she's got the lioness head. Mm-hmm. And, and around 900 or so uh they they start to, the cat starts to show up okay so interestingly I think uh it actually isn't until the Middle Kingdom that we find any depictions of domesticated cats mm-hmm. in Egyptian art so it's not clear exactly when cats arrive in Egypt um they had been domesticated originally in uh the fertile crescent in the euphrates uh tigers area Um, but so there's a theory that cats came on trading ships to egypt around 2000 bce Um, so Bastet may have actually predated uh egyptians knowledge of cats so she was around perhaps before the cats uh were there but even before that introduction of cats in in Egypt there has been this contrast between her Bastet as a protector and Sekhmet uh, that goddess of destruction who was also her sister mm. uh and so there was a kind of the, the violent destruction of Sekhmet and and the slightly more tame Bastet so there was this text in the 12th Dynasty where they're describing the the ideal Pharaoh um and it says he the ideal Pharaoh is Bastet who protects the two lands he he who worships him will be protected by his arms he the ideal Pharaoh is Sekhmet against those who transgress his order the one who the Pharaoh hates will be under distress Mm. so you know f around and find out really what before it's time yes yeah so that 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 was that's the shorter more modern version <laughs> yeah. uh but you know he'll protect you if you're if you're uh respect the law but but if you step out of line yeah watch out yeah so um so again the, the parentage of ass at least on her mother's side is a little bit of mystery so most sources say raw was her father but there's not a lot of consensus on who her mother was which is Mm kind of interesting uh there was some later notion that maybe it was Isis uh who we met recently um and that there's some connection there because Bastet in her cat role uh also becomes a goddess of fertility and home protection Mm -hmm. which would connect to Isis who who was kind of a a motherhood goddess that's right so that that makes some sense but uh as I noted earlier like who was also the daughter of Ra is at least her half sister right uh and they have this good sister bad sister relationship or or good goddess bad goddess vibe uh going from that very early time and it kind of keeps developing and people keep kind of coming back to that Mm -hmm. so Sekmet and Bastet being goddesses you know they have to take the good sister bad sister act further than you know is is maybe advisable or tasteful sure. and they, they end up both marrying the God Ptah, who is this craftsman God so they have uh you know, the, the the original sister wives
1: okay yeah
0: wives goddesses perhaps so marrying this guy from, at, the same,
1: at the same time
0: yes at the same time yes okay. uh um and, and but from this marriage uh with Patah, Bastet has her son Mahas who is a lion headed God of war and temple protection and then she also has the son Neferetum, who was associated with the God of the blue Lotus flower and creation so right. so she, she has that comes out of that and then eventually uh it is this dichotomy is probably what leads Bastet to become associated with that less dangerous uh domestic cat rather than the lioness uh, but there are some mythological versions of that transformation so you know tying back to our first episode in season uh 2 uh with Hather as you will recall uh smites the humans who are rebelling against Ra's rule uh goes a little too far yes is transformed into the vengeful Sekhmet uh tearing humans to pieces and in order to stop the carnage uh Ra feeds her some red beer to kind of mellow her out yes um but the Bastet add-on is that at the end when Sekmet wakes up from her stupor she is transformed into Bastet in the cat version form so she's oh. no longer a lion okay so, in in the Bastet version of that story um, and then there's there's a text describing this myth that says uh she rages like Se- Sekhmet and is friendly like Bastet mm-hmm. um and then there, there's also a variation of that distant goddess tale that we heard in uh episode two uh but the Bastet version uh it is Bastet and she is sent away by Ra as a punishment because in her lion form uh she does something that that makes Ra mad we don't know uh exactly what it is uh that that she's sent away but whatever it is she goes away feels bad has some reflection and when she comes back she is the tame cat and, and uh it and has taken that form from then on Got it Yep. so so you know whatever the truth so she has this wild past but uh, uh she is tamed and becomes a protectress mm-hmm. uh, you know and so while cats don't show up in in Egypt until that Middle Kingdom when they do show up uh they become a very big deal and along with them, Bastet becomes a very big deal. Mm. So, you know, they were valued initially for protecting grain supply from uh, from mice and rats and other vermin. They were valued for killing snakes. Um, the fact that cats have their offspring at the same time that the Egyptian harvest was coming in meant that they and Bastet became great fertility figures as people associated the, the kittens being born with their the crops coming in sure um and, and Bastet, you know taking a role as a protector of mothers also while giving birth because of uh cats being so uh fecan. but uh the pharaohs and the wealthy families start to mummify their cats at this point yeah so when the cats die uh you know you mummify them I guess put it put them to the side and then when you die you bear them with you in your tomb so that you can both be reunited uh, in the afterlife. I like that you point out you put them to the side. Just, yeah, well, I, there's got to be they, some sort of storage involved before, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they didn't. They didn't go take it so far that they immediately joined the cat. So <laughs> if you
1: if you go first, I doubt the cat is going to extend you the same courtesy. <laughs> this is true. I'll just put the human aside for a while. Yeah, then we'll take right. care of business.
0: Right. So 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 cats start appearing on the tombart of the pharaohs uh often depicted as sleeping under the queen's chair Mm. or eating off of the Pharaoh's plate sometimes
1: Mm.
0: so so you know they they had free reign uh and as time goes by cats become more and more popular and in fact begin to be thought of as sacred animals Mm. in that any cat would be under Bastet's protection okay or could even be the goddess in disguise oh and therefore it becomes punishable by death to kill a cat my goodness in ancient Egyptian in ancient Egypt during this is uh, kind of during the the Ptolemaic phase so but just because it could be a goddess yes you don't want to even take that chance right yeah. so we have a h- historical example of this in mm. 59 BCE Julius mm. Caesar is uh in Egypt uh among other things trying to help settle the civil war between uh, i think ptolemy the seventh and uh, cleopatra mm. and according to the roman historian diodorus siculus he witnessed a roman official being lynched by an egyptian mob in alexandria after that official had killed a cat co- supposedly accidentally according to diodorus siculus mm. uh but even with the intervention of uh the Pharaoh to try and save this man that the mob broke into his house and and, uh, and killed him dang serious so, business. yes um but at an earlier point reportedly this fastidiousness about cat killing may have cost the Egyptians dearly so according to the Greek historian Polyanus uh he was told by a retired mercenary general that when the Persian king uh Cambyses fought in the Battle of Pelusium he had this uh successful tactic that he had the front line of his soldiers carrying cats in front of them oh that's smart so that the Egyptian archers were afraid to fire their arrows for (laughs) fear of hurting the cats allowing the Egyptians to approach the Egyptian front line completely unscathed that's brilliant, and I that can guarantee
1: is... you that tactic would not work today.
0: No, it would. It would not. It and may, right? again, it may, it may, it may cause the attack to come quicker. Yeah, and, and and I'm not sure if uh if the Persians held on to the their cat shields during the actual battle, like a cat in one hand and a spear in the other. I don't know how successful that part would have gone. No, it sounds bad. Yeah, but. Uh, but that 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 is at least rumored to be the tactic now the the historians do modern historians doubt that a little bit but certainly that was believed at the time which shows shows how uh how important cats were taken in Egypt so no doubt now this association with cats and protection you know doesn't mean that Bastet was a pussycat herself in, in the metaphorical sense Uh, A couple of texts refer to the fire of Bastet or the heat of Bastet, Mm. uh, making it seem that she had some sort of firepower. Um, She's also attributed with seven arrows made of demons. Um, And, you know, not a lot of description there, but I I do like to picture these as actual little demons with crash crash (laughs) helmets on that she's trying to string up to her bow and shoot at her enemies. Yeah. Um, but you know maybe because the unwillingness of of the demons uh the surviving battle depictions we have of of Bastet she's actually armed with a knife Hmm. uh rather than the seven arrows and in those depictions Bastet is part of the great tag team match of Egyptian gods against their mortal enemy Apophis the great serpent of chaos Hmm. so Apophis is of course most famous for every night trying to stop and inevitably failing to stop Ra's solar bark on its overnight trip through the underworld yes. in order to get back into position in the morning so i know you compared him at least uh, once to the washington generals
1: that's, that's right <laughs> every time gives his best effort but just doesn't quite close the deal
0: yes but but to be fair that uh, i i did find in this uh, research that the Egyptians thought like when there was something happened like a an eclipse or like a really big storm that maybe he he got maybe he got close maybe he's due
1: yeah okay he he
0: rocked the boat a little bit on that I like it yeah uh sending into overtime but (laughs) you know in in, in any case Bastet was one of those deities who who would lend a hand or uh in this case a paw to help defend the boat um and that makes sense because you know cats would at times as I said fight Fight off snakes in in real life ancient sure. Egypt. Um, so, in addition to defending the boat, uh, Bastet is reputed to have had a couple of other engagements with Apophis. Uh, she is shown on one wall painting on the tomb of Inner Kahu, uh, which I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing correctly. Um, sounds uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh Who's a high palace official under Ramses III, uh, but she's shown in full cap form with one paw holding down the head of Apophis while the other paw holds a knife, slicing the great serpent body in two in order to defend the uh, tree of life and knowledge, which is, which is behind her. Okay. Um, and then a that second doesn't. story. Yeah. So in a second story, apparently uh, Ra had, had tired of being on the defensive every night, you know, like letting the battle come to him. So he decides to take the battle to Apophis and, and at first he calls on some priests, of his to find Apophis in his lair and cast some spells to to seal him in but unfortunately there's a problem because Ra's power Ra's the God of the sun and his power and his power of his priest's magic is comes from light it's very light centric um and they needed some light but Apophis's lair is hidden deep deep in a cave in the underworld where absolutely no light could reach so the the, the priests were not successful, so you know who do you send in when there's a battle in the dark? Well, you send a cat because a cat can see in the dark. So, oh, okay. So, Bastet assumes her cat form, takes that trusty knife, nice travels down to a Pophis lair, and kills him uh, yet again. And of course, th- th- this is just as successful as all the other killings of Apophis, <laughs> no more, no less. He comes back again; he does. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, no, no indication that he stayed dead. But you know, maybe they got a, a, a night or two off on the yeah, boat. Yeah, there you go. So you know, it wasn't for nothing. And I would suspect that
1: your home is now free of snakes all the time because of having a cat around.
0: Yes, that's true. We have very few snakes uh, inside our home. <laughs> Uh, which surprising. you know knock wood um <laughs> so you know she had fire she had arrows of demons uh she had that knife uh but there were other ways that she could do damage to a wrongdoer hmm. now so as you may recall I left a little bit of a cliffhanger in the Thoth episode uh telling the first part of the setnae the first story oh, or maybe I should say I left things up in the air as there weren't uh hanging at that point because as you may recall uh Setne prince of Egypt and magician was after the book of thoth uh, a powerful magic book written by the god of wisdom himself yes we all recall and, that yes and we and we last saw him naked in the street that's right uh with his erect member in a clay pot
1: <laughs> an unforgettable image yeah so then figure. we
0: then we have record scratch which I, which I assume you will put in after that's that true. fact yeah uh, record scratch Setney turns to the camera and says yeah that's me <laughs> she's probably wondering how I got so so to recap uh after hearing the tragic story of how the possession of the book led to the death of the previous owner and his family uh Setne pauses for less than a second and goes to take the book from the ghost via a game of checkers um but the god is the book is too powerful for mortal hands so the gods are going to have to retrieve it um but he but he does have the book at least for a time so a little later Setne's in in the temple of Ptah and he sees the most beautiful woman he's ever seen in his life and he sends his servant to find out who she is and is told that she is the priestess of Bastet. Mm-hmm. However, we're going to find out that this is Bastet in disguise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so Centenay, uh you know, ever the charmer, has his servant go up to her, say, you know, I'm the son of the Pharaoh, and I will pay you ten pieces of gold to sleep with me. So she declines, says no, but I, uh, why don't you come up and meet me at my home in Bubastis? uh which is the center of uh Bastet's uh, worship so centenate takes a boat trip up there uh goes to her house which is a grand beautiful townhouse in the city he's offered food and drink uh but he says you know hey let's do uh what we came to do but the priestess says no you will return to your house in which you live I'm a priest re- priestly rank I am not a low person if you desire to do what you wish to do with me you must make me you must make for me a deed of maintenance and of compensation in money for everything all goods belonging to you and he said to her send for the scribe so he signs over all of his possessions wow right there on the spot I and see, then must have been really feeling it he he was feeling it. Uh then, then the, the priestess puts on a sexy dress mm-hmm. uh but she says, Oh, by the way, I brought your children here. You also need to have them sign away their inheritance so they don't try and sue me. Oh. And and Setne completely filled with desire, says, Yeah, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> and then he's like, Okay. Now, but Bastet, as the priestess says if you desire to do what you wish with me, you must have your children killed. Do not do not leave them to contend with my children over your property. Setney said, Let the abomination that came into your head be done to them. Well, so he's like, Yeah, this is a bad idea. I get that, but okay. Yeah, really, uh,
1: making a strong case for Father of the Year here.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so she had his ki- his children killed before him, and then had them thrown down from the window to the dogs and cats. Wow. They ate their flesh, and he heard them as he drank with the priestess. <laughs> so then is like, okay, now it ha- hasn't put him off the mood. <laughs> he's 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 still keen. Um, so they go into a back room and they lie down on a couch, and then Setne finally goes. You know just to touch her and, and the priestess best you know Bastet lets out a huge scream and then centenate awoke in the street naked in the position that i had described earlier
1: with the clay pot uh,
0: yes yeah with the clay pot yeah uh as as the, his only cover
1: okay and so that explains at least what the clay pot was functioning for it was a, it was a gesture <laughs> of modesty
0: <laughs> perhaps okay. yeah uh and and just then so he's waking up he's in the middle of the street he, his children have been killed he's given away all his money and just then he sees a fancy litter uh uh come up um and who is it but his father the pharaoh oh and he tells him you know what actually the kids are safe they're back in Memphis <laughs> but I think we should take this as a warning from the gods and return the book to the tomb so so that was just you know to be fair that was just a dream or hallucination uh that Bastet visited on him but she did secure the the magic book of Thoth taught the Prince a valuable lesson and did so without actually feeding any children to the dogs
1: oh, I'm really happy that the children in real life did survive that's a that would have been for especially
0: tragic end. <laughs> yes so uh and that's what I have on Bastet cat-headed goddess of fertility Protection and a candidate for the golden nail. Very good. Well, that's uh, th- th- m- more dimensions to that cat
1: uh, figure than I was expecting. And and by gum, you also resolved that cliffhanger that's been hanging out yes. there for many weeks now. So <laughs> I'm sure our listenership will be very
0: grateful for that. Yeah, um, they didn't resort to Google along the way.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> just would we'll go against the spirit of the thing. Yeah very good well thank you for that we have yeah. uh, we have a, a strong contender in at least a few categories i can already picture yeah. um, but before we start to get to conclusions hey we still got to make time for anubis uh we so do. let us get to that after this break all right And we are back. Welcome back for part two of this episode, season two, episode five. We are diving in now to Anubis. Yes. So Anubis, of course, a god with a singular focus, and that focus is death. (laughs) Uh, The god of funerary rites, protector of graves, guide to the underworld, or at least was for a spell. So before any further ado, uh, let me share an image to continue our tradition. Right away, yeah. Anubis and there you have it so, all right please and you for us what you see
0: in anubis all uh, right so we we have a man you know in the classic pose yes uh well a man's body in the classic pose and That's then right. the head of what I assume is a jackal uh with very <laughs> large pointy ears and a kind yes. of a headdress coming off of it right right um he has got that raw uh he's got the rod of Seth um, he's got the onk, the symbol of life, in his other hand. That's right. Stepping forward, and and, and he, I believe, he's got a, a tail. Very good. On, on his, and he's got that kind of classic man skirt. Yes. Uh, ready for action.
1: Very well done. You you've gotten all the high points, uh, indeed. So you've got the the most prominent feature, of course, the head of uh, at least a canine. Uh, but certainly, you know, a jackal is the proper description. Uh, the ears are upright. You know, of course, you said holding the ankh, the symbol of life. That is, we've yeah. seen the past episodes very popular as an accessory at that time. Yes, it <laughs> yes. uh, really was the style. The ears upright, uh, pitch black is the color of the jackal head. He's staring intently at the horizon. Now, the black of the jackal's head uh, is very important given the role of right. Anubis, because, of course, in Egyptian tradition, black symbolized life and regeneration. <sighs> it symbolized okay. the nile and conveniently uh, it also symbolized the color that decomposing corpses eventually turn if you wait okay long right. So this has not occurred to me until this episode but <laughs> even even now in our most sort of racially sensitive time if you wait around long enough it, in the end everybody's black
0: <laughs> that, <laughs> that is true i guess idea. yeah that's a way to look at it
1: that's right uh, so, yes, not just a canine, uh, as I mentioned, but more specifically a jackal. And, of course, that is a sort of a medium sized canid, if you like, native to Africa and Eurasia, uh, more closely related, I guess, to the wolf than the typical sort of dog style canines we know and love, but a bit of both. Okay. Uh, and like many of the animal headed gods we've discussed this season, including the front half of this one, a different version. Sometimes Anubis takes on what you saw, the sort of jackal head, but the man's body. Other times, he will occasionally go, if you will, full jackal, uh, snout to tail, <laughs> yeah. the full deal, um, and often will be seen placed on top of a tomb to guard that tomb. So you see the full head to toe jackal atop the tomb. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. I can't speak for you, Andrew, but if I were ever tempted myself to vandalize a tomb uh, and I saw, or maybe just do a little grave robbing, you know, dabble a little bit in that. Um, if I saw a jackal on top of that tomb, I think I would it would, it would discourage me from doing so. I would be I would be taken yeah. back. I would not want to mess with that. Um, there's a good reason. Jackals are are kind of badass. So they are opportunistic omnivores. They are predators of of small right. and medium sized animals. They got these long legs, curved teeth uh, that will help them you know do that hunting. Between their bouts of hunting, they're also scavengers that will pretty much eat whatever they come across. They're not. Terribly picky uh, about what they find. Right. Um, but those big feet are great for running, so they can move really fast, 10 miles per hour for extended periods of time. Um, so a lot of good skills in terms of getting out there, being scary, being on the hunt. Um, also, and this surprised me, they typically form, do jackals, uh, monogamous pairs. So okay. despite all these wild personality traits when it comes to the ways of love, jackals are a little bit old-fashioned that way.
0: All <laughs> right, nice. Romantic.
1: So, yeah, just maybe a, maybe a little unsolicited tip to our listeners. Next time you're looking for a new term of endearment for your beloved, just try saying, oh, you, you jackal you. yeah, <laughs> <Let's> see how <laughs> that goes. You <laughs> have to listen that. this whole episode first. <laughs> that's, that's right. Sure don't, do that. don't come to conclusions just yet. Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned in the first half, similarly, uh, as with many Egyptian gods, the role of Anubis shifted a bit over, over the many years of that ancient time, pretty common among these figures. So back to the first dynasty, the really old days, he was the original grave protector, but he also was a bit of a funeral professional. So he did uh, his own embalming. He developed that technique. He was full service. He would prepare the body. He would do the mummification all the way to the post-interment security that he would provide on top of the grave. So really quite the professional when it came to the the funerary arts. Um, And he had a good run as Lord of the Underworld. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you're like many listeners right now, you're thinking, Matt, hang on. Have you not spoken in the past of at great length about Osiris (laughs) being the Lord of the underworld? Yes. Well, you'd be half right. You'd be correct that Osiris, who was, of course, the great king that had a great successful run until he was unceremoniously trapped in a party coffin, cut up into 16 pieces, reassembled and resurrected, never quite the same. That Osiris did eventually replace Anubis in the role of Lord of the Underworld. That did happen. Uh-huh. We'll talk about the circumstances. You would be incorrect to say that I spoke at great length about it because I <laughs> remind listeners, we militantly keep these episodes to a tight 90 minutes. So right. it could have gone on far longer. But yes, ultimately um he did take over the role of Lord of the Underworld. Anubis had it to beginning at the beginning. Um, now why did he give up that that role? Well, probably out of respect. You know, he empathized with the great king, that of course he went through all that. The chopping he went through the removal of the king's phallus and cast of the the hungry fishes of the Nile. but to his credit, Anubis kind of stayed in in the family business. He stuck around the underworld with Osiris as his new boss, and then he took on a new role where he would not be the lord of the underworld, but he would usher souls into the afterlife. Take you by the hand, guide you uh, into the afterlife, which brings us back. It qualifies him as um, one of my favorite terms that we've discovered on this program. He was a psychopomp <laughs> yes. So that was his his job for most of his run after the old days. He also had a very particular task. So Anubis was in charge of weighing the hearts of the dead. So he had a special scale that he would use to determine which souls would enter the afterlife, which would be ushered into the good place. Now, I assumed in learning that, that this was just another piece of incontrovertible Egyptian science, you know, only the most worthy men and women who are the ones with the biggest heart organs, um, that must be the way that they measure them, which you know in our time would mean heaven was full of just obese, diehard Chick-fil-A fans or whatever. Uh, <laughs> they may think that's the case anyway, but for different yeah. reasons. But uh, for it turns out the measurement process is a little more subtle than that. So we'll, right. we'll get to that in a bit. But just keep in mind, Anubis has part of his job is weighing the heart. Right Now, back to the name. The name Anubis uh, actually came from the Greeks a little bit later in the 7th century B.C., and as I mentioned before, since hieroglyphics didn't have vowels, we have very little idea how the original name would have been pronounced, but we do know what the hieroglyphics look like. So can you, if you had to guess, Andrew, what the hieroglyphic for Anubis looked like,
0: what would you guess? I would have no idea. <laughs> I would have no idea picture of a jackal <laughs> <Sometimes>, Ah, <laughs> man that great, was when i was gonna great thing about hieroglyphics
1: <laughs> sometimes they're really on the nose <laughs> uh, I don't know. Now, okay and, and 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 to be fair uh, a little bit later that hieroglyphic shifted to the picture of the jackal sitting on top of a little podium to represent ah. the grave so very uh very intuitive language was hieroglyphics no vowels but they got right down to business right so why you probably ask why would you associate a jackal with things like death in the underworld Well, then there is an explanation that's perfectly logical for the most part. So you go way back to pre-dynastic Egypt. The corpses back then were buried in very shallow graves. Now, I don't know if they had just not worked out the design of the shovel yet, if they were really busy, just didn't have time to dig that long. Who knows? But the graves are very shallow. At the same time, you'll also recall jackals are scavengers always looking for their right. next meal. So given this combination, given the tendency to be scavengers and the shallow graves, jackals were known widely to just dig up human bodies and have themselves a little feast. Oh, it was very easy okay. to get to them. So yeah. At the time to the jackal, a cemetery is like a like an old country buffet, you know, lots of tasty <laughs> options to choose from, easy access. Your food in various states of decay, but it's all right there in front of you. Right. Um so you can kind of see why Jackals were associated with cemeteries and not in the best way. But when the time came for for the powers that be to choose a protector of the cemetery, um, these sort of ancient ones decided to go with a jackal headed God to do that. Applying the principle of fighting like with like, Uh So, which sounds like a thing, but I kind of, the more I thought about, I know about like fighting fire with fire. That that makes sense. But like the strategy of fighting jackals with a jackal, um, never occurred to me, but that apparently was the, the principle in play. That, that's <laughs> the start of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That so it goes all the way back to the jackal. So that's where you get that combination. Now, similar to what you were saying about best debts, different stories about the parentage of Anubis, depending on when you ask. So, and in some similar characters even involved. So early in the early days, Anubis was thought to be one of the sons of Ra that ends up being attributed to a lot of different, uh, these figures. So that's not surprising. Yeah, later on, uh, some other varying stories, he may have or may have been the son of Hesat, who was the cow goddess, uh, or even Bastet, the cat-headed goddess uh, herself. So there are some there are some who, who who thought that's where Anubis would have come from. Right. Um, I guess there weren't as many figures around back then, so the odds of being the parent of one yeah, of them so, in terms of, of the deities yeah. would make some sense. It had to be
0: a deity, right? That's yeah. right. Uh, so
1: that was possible. But Plutarch, I think, had the best explanation, at least for me. And he claimed that Anubis was the illegitimate son of nephthys and osiris so this takes us back of course to episode two you'll Uh, recall osiris slept with nephthys who was his sister but it was an honest mistake because she was disguised as her sister isis who was his wife and also his sister but not the (laughs) right one so he he was tricked into sleeping with the wrong sister the one he wasn't married to Um, so as a result of that a love child arrived according to at least the plutarch version um, Nephthys didn't want her husband Set to find out about the love child. You may recall, as the god of chaos, he could be a bit hot headed. Yeah, um, maybe wouldn't have taken that news very well. So she, in this telling, abandoned the, the little bastard, and that's not a term of derision; just a, just a description. Sure. Um, right. Out in the woods, and so we we see another one of another instances of of infant exposure, which we saw yes. a lot of in season one and t- encountered quite throughout this program. So the baby is exposed A troop of a pack of dogs Ends up finding the baby Anubis Now presumably they were drawn to the fact That he had a jackal head So they figured they had something in common <laughs> Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: they Then the dogs led uh, Isis To the location of young Anubis Where she discovered him And raised him as her own So again, props to Isis Yeah. Gets Her husband gets, gets fooled into this thing The other the, the child is born It's not her biological child But the dogs bring her Bring them to bring her the the baby to her, to her and she raises him as her own. So, any of these stories could be plausible as a backstory for right. Anubis. This one feels just the most on brand for the ancient Egyptian season. Yeah, so we're just we're gonna go with this one. We're gonna pretend that's where he started. Um, and it actually gives a lot of more meaning to some of these other stories because you know when Anubis ends up giving up his title as Lord of the Underworld for Osiris, and essentially getting demoted to psychopomp instead. If we take this story in this version, he's not just doing it for his beloved former king; he's doing it for his old man. So he's kind of a consolation yeah. prize. He's, you've been through enough, dad. It's a little heartwarming. To, so please take my big job. Right. I will be your psychopomp. Um, not surprisingly, Anubis has some later connections to some of the Greco-Roman traditions. So there is a natural kind of merger in some circles later with the Greek god Hermes. Yeah, who of course, you covered. Uh, as his Roman version, Mercury, way back in episode nine, in that marriage emerged with Hermes. Um, Anubis then took the name Hermannubis. <laughs> right, yeah, rolls off the tongue. It was, I consider that to probably be the um, that that word was the hubestank of its time. <laughs> Please meet Hermannubis. Hermannubis. Uh, but of course, that connection was was fitting to Hermes, since they were both sort of guides of souls to the afterlife. Right. Um, and non-surprisingly, because of his canine nature, Anubis was also associated with some other famous pooches of the Greco-Roman tradition. So he was running in the same circles as Sirius up in the heavens as Cerebrus, the, the fearsome god of Hades. They were all friends, all the canine <laughs> deities. They all, they all hung out. They all played yeah. poker and had a good time. Um, now there Anubis was sh- a painting of that. That's right. In, in the later version, yes. Uh, Anubis does show up briefly in the Osiris myth that we've mentioned in the past. So we mentioned mummification. After Osiris is killed, he helps Isis, his adoptive mother, uh, do the embalming. But because this is ancient Egyptian time period, also does the mummification. So as we discussed, doing that mummy wrap on the body was not for fashion purposes. It was because he needed to have those body parts held together. Now, of course, that would go on to be quite a tradition among Egyptians, among, in some cases, if you're lucky, they're cats. <laughs> but it all came back to, uh, to him essentially inventing these techniques. Um, one thing I didn't know from that is that after the death of Osiris, the organs of that king were then given to Anubis as a gift which seemed like a strange choice. Like, well, you know, your father's been violently killed, but eh, sorry about that, but please accept his entrails with with our compliments. Um, But presumably, presumably that made room for the embalming process, which he was able to pioneer. And to this day, many freshly dead individuals still do practice the art of embalming. So that technique uh, remains with us among some. So mentioned Anubis was protector of tombs. Now, sometimes that did take a little bit of an extra effort. Being a jackal, or at least having a jackal head wasn't always enough. So, takes us back to Set, of course, the god of chaos. Yeah. Not only responsible for the killing and dismembering of Osiris, but at some point he just couldn't get enough chaos and he decided to attack the corpse of Osiris, to attack his grave. Um luckily, you know, the the, the grave was being guarded, but he decided right. to do, to do this and set in order to do I guess do it in style, he decided first to transform himself into a leopard. Just to to, to to add a little extra drama to the occasion. Yeah. But Anubis was on the job. He was guarding the tomb, as was his 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 responsibility. And not only does Anubis stop and subdue Set, he takes a, a moment to teach him a few lessons for, for why not to do that. So, first of all, he takes Seth, brands his skin with a hot rod. Okay. And not not like one of those cool classic cars. <laughs> no, top, no, no, I'm no. talking about an actual heated rod. Uh, so he leaves leaves a mark there. And then in a classic mythology move, which we've heard a few times, he flayed the skin offset now in leopard form. Yeah. And then wore his hide as a warning to others not to mess with graves. Wow. So I suspect this was effective. You know, like just seeing a jackal wouldn't be enough of a deterrent for, for most sort of grave-related shenanigans. <laughs> but a jackal wearing a leopard skin, I would definitely behave myself around that kind of security. So right, for <laughs> sure. So this gives rise to something of a tradition. And every time after this, whenever priests attend to the dead to commemorate this victory of Anubis over set, they would wear their own leopard skin outfits uh, during the ceremony to, to commemorate that. And keep in mind, they were also already wearing giant wooden jackal heads in honor of <sighs> Anubis to, to for the ceremony. So the giant wow. wooden jackal head and the leopard skin nice. um, really leaning into commemorating uh, this particular victory was also not the last time that priests would be known to dress rather flamboyantly but at the time even that was that was quite something yeah. uh, but there's a bit of science to the story as well so get this the fact that anubis branded set with that hot rod the legend is that is the explanation for how a leopard first got its spots <laughs> which of course science. remains yeah. a subtle science to this day so not not only a commemorative victory, not only a fashion statement, but pure right. biology science. Now, I mentioned earlier the weighing of the heart to, to kind of de- yep. to determine the fate of the soul into right. the afterlife, which, of course, the Egyptians knew as, as Duat. Now, in fact, it is not the biggest heart wins or some example <laughs> of that. So you're not you know, trying to beat the system with cholesterol. Uh, according to the Book of the Dead, which... I mean, to me, would be the definitive source of truth on the matter. It's right there in the title. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anubis would perform on a soul a specific measurement. He would weigh the heart of a deceased person against mat, which is the Egyptian idea for truth, which we've talked about before. And yep. was represented by an ostrich feather. So if your soul is heavier than a feather, that's not good. Then it okay. gets devoured by Ammit, who, recall, has the back end of a hippopotamus, the front end of a lion, and the head of a crocodile devoured game over but if your soul is lighter than a feather it then ascends into heaven now by all accounts and in lots of artistic renderings that survive and there are many uh, anubis took his his measuring job very seriously yeah um you see lots of images you know if you're wondering at next time you're at the museum why there's so many images of a jackal-headed guy working a big scale (laughs) a heart (laughs) on one side a feather on the other
0: this will explain that's serious business that's right
1: and he took it seriously and and you know whether he was at work or not anubis i think remains one of the most widely depicted figures in egyptian art he shows up a ton uh there's lots of well-preserved statues there's paintings there's a even this big like mobile shrine um that was found within the the tomb of T- king Uh many of these can be viewed at the new york metropolitan museum of art which of course they were no doubt acquired through entirely legal yeah, and, and, sure. and ethical means um but he's everywhere very very popular. Uh, and very heavily worshipped was Anubis, and I think for a for good reason, because he, he gave people hope. I mean, everybody, similar to uh, your upfront chapter, protection is key. And and everybody right. likes the idea of their body after death not being messed with, of having a security system to not be on the other end of, of grave shenanigans. So yep. uh, everybody wanted to be on Anubis's good side to make sure he would protect them when the time came. So to that effect, there were lots of prayers for Anubis that were written on gravestones, um, we're going to learn, uh, I think in our categories that yeah his character in later stories was often used as that of a villain, okay He becomes this sort of scary demonic figure with armies and and all sorts of vengeance. but in the context of ancient Egypt we're, we're dealing with he was certainly seen as as a good guy. He was very much liked, worshipped, uh, and respected for all of his good work. so that's where we leave Anubis, the okay. <laughs> jackal-headed god who's Took his job very seriously, looking over the dead, weighing souls against feathers, pioneering embalming, and on at least one occasion, celebrated his great victory over an invading invading agent of chaos by wearing a fabulous leopard skin coat.
0: Excellent! Wow,
1: so multifaceted story as well. But that is Anubis, uh, so takes us to as you as you said up front, this classic uh, cat versus dog right. showdown, and we'll have to uh, we'll have to do our own weighing of their various <laughs> pros and cons which we will do
0: right uh, after this. right on the
1: other end of this so stay tuned see you
0: in a minute All right. and we are back for the categories where we will pit these gods against each other in five very carefully selected categories to see which one will move on for a chance to get the golden ale so first one we have is called immortal combat and that is very simply who would win in a physical confrontation uh one on one and i'll kind of give uh the pros and cons that i i found for bastet first Mm -hmm. and so i think bastet actually stacks up pretty well here yeah. um Yeah. You know, she starts off she's got that eye of raw goddess uh in her uh repertoire uh she's a protector of raw and one of his his fighting goddesses um we don't get a, a lot of detailed accounts out of that unfortunately but uh she appears to have had some sort of power with fire as we talked about mm-hmm. um she's she's maybe shooting flames at her mouth maybe uh maybe she's just a bit of a pyro uh it's, it's unclear <laughs> uh she had those seven demon arrows yeah. uh, again it's a little bit up to our imaginations how, how these work uh but the references definitely indicate that these were things that were best to to avoid so yeah. uh she's excellent with a knife she's got some knife skills mm-hmm. um and, and she she has cat-like reflexes we have to assume I have, yes um, safe bet she's, <laughs> she's, she's uh got the ability cat-like ability to see in the dark we know that because she was sent after Apophis, uh who she slayed on at least two occasions right uh so you know there's not not a question about her willingness uh to use violence uh, and, and she also uh was not above haunting you in your inner in your dreams so right you know, that—that's kind of what I got out of it. What did you have? Yeah, it's pretty Anubis?
1: pretty good. I, you know, we we talked about most of, of the Anubis strengths in their their vocational settings. Their embalming right. modification, not exactly, you know, suitable for for combat. There is the story of conflict in his defeat of Set. Of course, yeah, we just heard that. Sure. Who was very powerful and sinister um you know and he was a leopard as well so it wasn't just getting a god it was a god as a leopard right so defeating him and subduing him was no mean feat he could do that so he when the moment called for it with a foe who really did deserve it um he 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 snapped into action to his credit you know in terms of willingness to fight he, it was more about duty i think you know because he was the protector of graves he just he mm-hmm. he took on set because he had to we right. don't have tales of him Playing offense looking for trouble uh, defense only there is a significant caveat, though. So I mentioned that. It, well, I, I guess we should say this particular matchup. If right. we take if we take word that Bastet was could have been the mother of Anubis, yeah, and that could complicate matters where he may also be less inclined to uh, to take on his own mother. But because I essentially took the Plutarch version as as, right. as, the, as the more uh, fitting historical record, we can kind of leave that to the side. Significant caveat, though, I mentioned just before the break that that many of these modern day depictions, or at least more modern depictions of Anubis, give you these interpretations that diverge from the classical text. So the most common example is our our well-known Marvel comics. So they, of course, they had a well-known cast of characters for a while back in the old days called the Heliopolitan Gods, based, as you would expect, in Celestial Heliopolis, Uh uh, but included Marvel versions of a lot of the characters we've talked about this season so Sobek was there thoth osiris isis set and Anubis. okay now we haven't seen much of them in the current era but back in like the 40s and 50s they would show up in like marvel tales they would they would cross into a captain america storyline from time to time legion of monsters son of satan a lot of the types of, of titles you don't hear as much about right He would also show up with moon knight now that was a series pretty recently and they, it had some of these figures in the background so the small yes wolves. but the version of Anubis in the marvel universe had significant strengths. So superhuman strength as a god, stamina, vitality, resistance to harm, all that stuff. And also had some magic powers so he could cross into the dream dimension. Yep. He could separate souls from bodies. Not necessarily you know, combat-related skills, but, but some supernatural properties for sure. Um, but as is traditional in the Marvel world, he had a significant weakness. Yeah. Anubis is unable to harm anyone who possesses an Ankh. <laughs> No. oh He's no symbol of life now andrew do you recall over the course of our previous episodes who carries an ock around
0: all the gods
1: pretty much everybody yeah so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if we take marvel at its word this is a major blow to his, oh. his chances in immortal combat in the very in this very episode an ock was being held by uh by Bestette as well so all that said, that's that's a big if. If we take Marvel at their word, Marvel also plays pretty fast and loose with the original text as the years go on. Yeah, there was a time, for instance, where he calls in a favor to Moon Knight to 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 aid his fellow canines when, get this, there's a madman who's able to control all dogs. All of a sudden, and gets <laughs> them to attack rich people in New York City. Oh. Now, call me a traditionalist, I think that's quite a departure from the original Egyptian text. I don't know. <laughs> said it. No, no. We can take the oct thing with a grain of salt. Uh, right. So, all that said, I think when the duty called for it, Anubis was able to have that one victory. But apart from that, I don't think he's terribly well equipped for immoral combat. Certainly, compared to Bastet, who's got a much stronger track record and skill set. So, all due respect, I think Bastet gets my my vote in this round.
0: and yeah, it's, it's interesting. So her her best claim to fame is you know having. Beaten a a a couple of times, sure, and and his claim to fame is, is being set in leopard form. So then, you know, by the transitive property, uh, would a giant serpent beat uh, a leopard? I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, a giant le- giant serpent who loses a lot. He <laughs> he does lose a lot. He loses loses to a lot of gods. Uh, yeah. So that that's an interesting question. So, mm. um, but she she does have the she certainly has more weapons that are articulated uh you yeah. know in in her uh arsenal so uh leaving aside the apophis versus set transitive property yes uh discussion i don't know if that helps us actually get any closer I, i'm gonna go with uh bastet as well so yeah
1: I, you know i know I, anubis reminds me a little bit of hephaestus or vulcan back in the first season where he's really yep. his, his calling is to be a craftsman you know he's yep. He's about the work. And yeah, when when things get down to it, he's still a god. He can still make some things happen, but he's all about the craft.
0: Right. Right. So all right. So good. So that that takes us to one for Bastet and takes us oh. on to our second round. Uh, which is let's we'll see if I had these in the right order this time. Uh curriculum deity. Yes. Uh, which is uh who would you rather be? Who would you rather worship? Which god has that? It factor, and I believe uh, you're going to go first, Matt. Yes. So, who would I rather be? Well,
1: when it comes to Anubis, if you can get past having the head of a jackal, which is which is a big a big yeah. if, there's a decent case to be made. Okay, so yes, sure, he's got a very complicated origin story, a rather thorny family tree, to say the least. Yep. But you know, he got to help his mom patch up his dad when he was cut into sixteen pieces. He added. <laughs> Finishing touches of inventing embalming and, and, and embalming and mummy wrap. So it's been an inventor, a bit of a scientist, uh, which would be nice. He also had the authority of being the Lord of the Underworld, at least for a while. And then he took that demotion as psychopomp to make room for his old man who had truly suffered enough. So good to his parents, uh, which is which is a strong mark of, of character that I can I can identify with. And that said, I'm not sure I'd want to spend a lot of time hanging out in the Underworld or graveyards, not really yeah. my cup of tea um you know he seems like a bit of a loner because he's working a lot of those sort of solo night shifts um i think there are stories of him having kind of a female counterpart that would have been a partner but most of most of his accounts are really he's doing the work he's working the scale he's (laughs) yeah doing watch now it's important work and he did it well um pros and cons so a bit of a mixed bag there in terms of of whether you'd want to be him uh worshiping pretty good story so he was heavily worshipped as i mentioned before had this cult center in sinopolis in upper egypt um yep memorials built everywhere he was universally revealed in every part of, of egypt which you know as a worshiper is good just for pure convenience sakes yeah um and everybody worried about their own shallow graves potentially being sullied. so <laughs> the love was universal yeah. Uh, so I think that sounds pretty good. I'd like to have a community of, of worshipers. You know, we don't have stories here about big festivals or any sort of Dionysian escapades or 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 cult uh events, but essentially right. that sort of steady hand, that steady sense of protection, um would have to make you feel pretty good. Would give you hope. So on worshiping I give him some pretty high marks.
0: All right. It's, it's surprising that nobody thought just to you know give an extra copper to the grave digger to, can you go an extra foot you know maybe by the <laughs> end they might have figured that out and by that yeah. point
1: the, the the jackal-based security system was so well entrenched that uh yeah they but I think eventually that, yeah. they got there that's right
0: Yeah. Right, so uh so for for Bastet uh, uh on being her you know we don't know too much about her private life um she's married to the god Ptah, but she she shares shares her husband with her sister at the same time so it's, uh it's a complicated relationship uh with her husband and a complicated relationship with her with her sister and and so complicated that there you know was some question about whether her son's uh ma that lion-headed God of war or and nepharetum the the blue kid the blue orchid uh, affiliated God uh, of good smells uh whether they were hers or Sekhmet's kids uh uh-huh. so so twist from modern times where, where there's a paternity test may, may be needed, but this is, uh, you know, a maternity test was not available to them. So nobody, nobody quite knew. Uh, so uh, of course, you know, much like the rest of the Egyptian pantheon, uh, Bestet spent some time on the sun bark. Uh, sure. You know, she, she, had, she had to put in her hours there. That's right. Uh, had the special mesh special missions to battle Apophis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know but when she wasn't uh hanging with the gang on the sun bark uh you know Egyptians believed that she spent a good part of her time just, just being a cat oh. taking her time off she she just you know <laughs> nap in the sun you know, nap, yeah yeah nap in the sun you know uh, uh, of course as a cat she would have night vision sure. um but interestingly I found that cats don't actually have that good a vision overall Mm. Uh, They're, they're a little nearsighted and they see a more limited array of colors. Okay. Um, she also, you know, would have been a full carnivore. So, Mm. uh, somewhat similar to your diet, Matt. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, (laughs) Very much so. uh,
0: but, but then again, I found that cats have a very limited sense of taste with Mm. only about 5% of the taste buds that humans have. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, that kind of limited diet, limited taste. So that they, um, so even if you, know, you spring
1: for like the, the high end fancy feast, uh, you know, that's, you yeah, know, that's a scam. That's a that's scam. Okay. scam. <laughs>
0: good. I hope you're not doing that. Yeah. No, 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 no. So, uh, you know, but other than that, you know, we did, as you said, cats sleep about 20 hours a day. So <laughs> I imagine that when she took that time off, she probably spent a good, good amount of it. Just, just sleeping in the sun. Yes. Uh, but uh, you know, in terms of worship, uh, you know, we get the two eyewitness accounts, uh, mm-hmm. one from the father of historians, Herodotus, um, and Herodotus happened to visit uh, the city of Bubastus, which was the center of, of Bastet worship, um, and he describes her temple in the center of town as pleasant to behold, surrounded by tree-lined canals on three sides, with a long, wide road leading to the main entrance. So, nice, nice place Sounds to like go. It yeah go have some worships Um, and he also describes uh, Bastet's main festival uh, which took place while he was there and this is to to quote from Herodotus and he says when the people are on their way to Bubastus, they go by river a great number in every boat men and women together some of the women make noise with rattles others Mm. play flutes all the way while the rest of the women and then the men sing and clap their hands as they travel by river whenever they come near any other town they bring their boat near the bank and some of the women do as i have said some shout out mockery to the other women of the town others dance others stand up and lift their skirts <laughs> they, they do this whenever they come alongside any riverside town but when they have reached bubastis they make a festival with great sacrifices and more wine is drunk at this feast than in the whole year besides wow it is customary for men and women but not children to assemble there uh, to the great number of seven hundred thousand, as the people say so huge festival yeah uh, uh they have this sort of caravan of, of of rowdy people leading up to you know leading up to the festival um and, and then uh when you get up there uh you could also make a, a sacrifice of a cat at her temple uh because in the temple uh thousands of cat mummies were were also found so a oh, lot, so lot you different...
1: can't kill one on the outside no because no in
0: the temple you can you can sacrifice one Fish, if the if the priest gives it see, like this is not okay. Bastet blessing <laughs> <laughs> this cat has been cleared uh and then you can send send the message to Bastet that that cat can go live with you uh and and uh and please protect our home or, or, nice. or something like that very so, nice so yeah so it's so it's interesting they both have you know kind of we don't have a lot to go out i yeah. think for for their private lives but you know kind of reading uh between the lines um i you know uh hanging out with the dead I get, it's kind of hanging out with the dead versus hanging out on the solar bark, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> once a boat, I I, th- I think you've convinced me a little bit. There's, you know, on the, on the being side and the worshiping side, boat travel is involved. There's at least there's copious wine on the best yeah. side. There's skirt lifting. Uh, you don't see any of that stuff in, in the graveyard or in the, the scale room in the after. Right. <laughs> uh, I think, I think you've, you've convinced me. I think best dad gets, uh, gets my, my vote on this round as well.
0: Yeah. I think, I think I'm going to give it to her, uh, oh. you know, I, I think uh, yeah, she's got some interesting stories. Got some some variation in, in the being. Um, I don't know that cat head versus uh, <laughs> jackal heads really moved me anyway. But
1: I well, she looked pretty good in that dress at the beginning, though. So <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think
0: she uh, wears it well. She yeah. does wear it well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
1: feel even bad, you know, casting these votes because I myself want to make sure my own, you know, corpse is not is not solidified. By- <laughs> those who would proffer shenanigans but uh you know you got it's part of our responsibility we got to vote the way we see it
0: yeah that's true consequences right, be darned yep and it's sacred duty uh so <laughs> uh and then we go on to our third category which is good god and that is simply is, is who's got the better character which one of these deities and and i'll go first with yeah. uh Bastet, and, and she does pretty well here i think uh know she was definitely seen as a protector of the home women and children um you know as that softer counterpart to her Mm -hmm. sister Sekhmet. right
1: um
0: that said there there, you know there were some hints of some darker more more dangerous side she had those demon arrows um you know and there were some uh spells in in the book of the dead that, that talk about avoiding bastet and and avoiding the plague that that she had sent so Mm -hmm. it doesn't really go into it uh any more than that uh, about um you know what the plague is or how often but but at least somebody felt compelled to write in into the book of the dead uh that, that they had avoided uh her her plagues and and another uh one said that uh he has not touched best and it made in a way that was uh, implied that there was some sort of uh, danger there in, mm. in in getting too near her okay um, but that said she, she manages to get the the book uh, back from setney uh mm-hmm without any actual violence just you know some
1: <laughs> lots of graphic imagined violence but yeah.
0: yes uh but but she she you know uses that sort of imagination yeah. and hints puts puts it in his mind that this is what can happen. more of a warning mm. than actually carrying through on it so uh you know so so some some, some good and bad there
1: yep yeah. Yeah, I think a makes a pretty strong case in terms of character. I mean, we talked a second ago about him honoring his parents with some of those nice gestures. Um, you know, certainly had the courage in terms of character to conquer set in that confrontation. Yep. Now, in terms of stylistic points, you know, branding with the hot rod, the flaying, the wearing of the leopard skin. That may have been a little demonstrative for my taste, a little, little showboating. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm sure it's a big moment yeah. for him. So Yeah, he, yeah. Braced it. Uh, you know, the character of protecting the safety of dead bodies, I think, something we can all get behind. <laughs> uh, and you know, lest we 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 forget the importance of of such things. If you did not get embalmed or mummified in ancient Egypt, if you were, for instance, too poor for that, their technique was to just stick your body in the sun for two months and you until you became like a human raisin. Uh, and then they just did away with you from that. So in that sense, Anubis was providing a valuable service. Right. At least those who could swing it, he was able to uh, to help people avoid that fate of just be, baking being baking left the out there the, yeah. two months. Yeah. Yeah. So I I feel pretty good about the character side of it. Uh, I think I think he will get the edge on this one. He's not as sexy or flashy of a figure that you'd want to be, but I think character wise, pretty solid.
0: I think he has that that sense of duty that he was yeah. willing to kind of be layered uh, by his father yes. in the org chart. And, That's right. And he, he took it willingly, and still he didn't let it affect his work by any accounts. You yes. know, he didn't just kind of phone it in on the weighing of the hearts. Like, oh, who cares?
1: And you, you know? yeah, after all that, all those years of weighing feathers and scales, and, you know, feathers and, and hearts, you might get a little bored of that. But he he stuck to it
0: yeah you treat each one as important as far as far as we know okay. so yeah i'm, I'm going to go with you on this one uh, again and and i think uh that pulls us two two to one yes uh, with uh Bastet in the lead and us coming on to our fourth round which is iconography and that's simply you know who has uh more influence who has the better legacy um so I'm going to let you start off with uh, Anubis.
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, Anubis was often portrayed in later times as part of that legacy as a sinister figure, which is understandable to a degree. You've got a, a jackal head. That's pretty scary. You know, People are bound to make some hay of that. Uh, so you have a lot of works that kind of cast him as having these evil powers, leading dangerous armies. Um, bit of a nefarious reputation in a lot of those works. As I mentioned earlier, not a fair thing in his time. He was definitely considered one of the good guys. He was weighing your soul. He was giving you the afterlife by the hand. He was protecting your corpse from invaders. So, so you have to balance, even though there's a lot of characters out there that are bad guys, I think he's still, you know, the, the, the truth is still that he's, he was a good guy. Uh, but in terms of the name showing up, so Anubis shows up in impressive reigns of, of, of animal species, for instance. So, Anubis is the name of a beetle of a genus uh-huh. of, of the Anubis beetle. Uh, there is an Anubis baboon, who is a primate uh, from the mm-hmm. old monkey family, which, I mean, think about it. If you start as a jackal and your name's attached to a baboon, that's kind of a promotion, right? Yeah. So yeah. Moving in the right direction. Not bad. Um, and to round it out, he is also, Anubis is carried on the name of a fossil that was discovered pretty recently in 2021, uh, Pheomicetus Anubis, which is a type of sort of monstrous whale. That lived 42 million years ago. Okay. So, in terms of legacy, if your name can carry a beetle, a baboon, and a long extinct, like, well, wow, monster whale, yeah, good range, pretty good legacy right there in the animal kingdom alone. Right. Uh, in literature, Lanubis was the name of a, a popular fantasy novel from 2002, popular to an extent. <laughs> uh, the author was named Ibrahim Kuni, a Lebanese author. And the rundown of the book is it involves uh, mythologies, incest, patricide, animal metamorphosis, and human sacrifice. So, as a book, oh, it's either like a great you know summer beach read, or it's just one that essentially resembles any episode of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that it's right up our spot. alley. It's our sweet spot. Uh, the author is a bit of an odd duck. This Ibrahim Cooney uh, from Lebanon, and in an interview with the author recently, he it contains this quote to kind of explain some of his work. And I'm quoting here. He says, We must slay our father in order to search for our father. We must slay our father in order to find our father. So the guy's clearly, you know, <laughs> life of the party kind of guy. <laughs> Certainly makes me feel like a better son by comparison. <laughs> um, so since we're we're recording this just a few days in advance of Father's Day, keep right. in mind if you need a subscription for a father's day card, just go with that. Um you know, we find the Anubis name on many of the usual spots. He's an asteroid. He's, uh, he's the name of a a disc in Frisbee golf, naturally. Uh, it's the name of a space colony in the novel 3001, which is a sequel to 2001. Uh, various video games as some of these darker figures. Anubis is the name of a progressive rock band from Australia. Um, I listened to a little bit. Very serious, very long songs. <laughs> Not the kind of whimsical breeziness I would expect from our Australian friends. Um, much more dour. Right. Uh, As for baby names, and I don't often look at this. This is more your department, but I was tempted this time. Um, Not a popular choice in in the past, which, you know, makes sense because the name means God of the dead. It's quite a thing to saddle a kid with. However, after many years of a BPM rating between three and six, now BPM is babies per million. This is the metric used for baby naming. So the BPM was three to six a year uh babies per million for Anubis. So really low. But jump from six in 2020 or 2022, which seems a little high, even that, to this year an impressive 114. What? Yeah. So the BPM is like off the charts. And it's only wow. June. This is this is halfway through the year. So it's hard to say what's causing this this leap in yeah. Anubis named babies. I don't know if there's been a resurgence in keeping baby jackals as pets. Or <laughs> I can't imagine I don't what know. So yeah, Anubis is on a tear. So uh, you know, watch your baby announcements because it could be coming to a uh, a home and a baby shower near you.
0: Yeah, well, maybe it's that uh, Australian pro- prog rock band.
1: I, I guess it could be. <laughs> yeah, maybe the <that's, laughs> I mean, boats are rising. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Uh, so that's that's the kind of span of legacy that okay. I've seen. A little bit of literature, a little bit of uh, of baby naming, um, you know. But not a bad showing for for a a, a a god who's been out of the picture for a long time.
0: Yeah. No, that's very interesting. All right. So, you know, we, we often mention that, you know, kind of the Egyptians are less culturally connected to kind of the English speaking American world uh, than right. the Greeks and Romans were. Uh, but I think these are two pretty good represent representatives uh, yeah. of, of the Egyptian pantheon. So, uh, so I am just going to go some of the things that I found uh, researching this. And so uh, Bast- there's a, a Bastet watch uh, from the company Zazzle. Uh, and there th- is a watch, a wristwatch with a picture of Bastet on it. Okay, so that's nice. Uh, there's a Bastet Dance and Fitness Studio in California, and this is a women-centric uh, dance and fitness studio. Uh, and they they don't ever say on the website website you know why uh, that is the name, but but they definitely uh, they definitely picked it so. For some reason they are the best uh sure. studio yeah. There's uh the Bastet is a skin that you can acquire in the video game Overwatch 2. <laughs> uh and so so the, these skins I I I you and I are not gamers so we're a little out of our depths on this but Very much so uh, yeah. But it is a skin that you can acquire as as your player so you you take on the skin so for a time your your player becomes Bastet but but mm-hmm. then uh uh, you have to like you know get something in order to be able to achieve that level sure and and when that came out uh, when that was featured there was uh, the first ever overwatch short story about Bastet so okay she also appears in the very popular video game Assassin's Creed I have heard um, of that one yes yep yeah, so and there is uh, you mentioned asteroid there is the four to five seven uh, ubasti asteroid which was discovered in 1987 and it is approximately one and a half kilometers in diameter um there is the bastet society perfume of the month club oh Uh, so that you can join that on the internet the bastet society and and we do know that she was uh you know goddess of the ointment jar yes. and that she had a she had a good smell reportedly say
1: this that 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 all connects now yeah
0: yes. so so uh from, from their their uh, website it says welcome to the enchanted world of extraordinary scents mm-hmm. Bastet society is our most high-end perfume line where kate has the opportunity to work with some of the most costly exotic mystical and rare aromatic materials available to us here you will find notes of hypnotizing scents <laughs> such as tuberose white lotus ginger lily and the sacred aoud oil well just we, name good a few. thing
1: we got kate out there working for us that's great. yes
0: <laughs> very inspired bastet as as you can say yes. see um not to be outdone there is the bastet brewing company uh mm. in tampa florida which is craft brew uh company down there um there's the Bastet Noir clothing line. Um, and then there was a 2020 TV miniseries called The Bastet Test, uh, mm-hmm. which f- appears with the following synopsis on IMDb. Magic cats, magic cat statues of Egyptian goddesses. <laughs> All of those things happen when a human makes a wish while a- singing to his cat and gets exactly what he asked for because the statue is of Bastet. She's an Egyptian goddess. Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) Well,
1: I didn't do a whole lot other than watch TV in 2020. And I don't remember that one at all. (laughs) No,
0: (laughs) no, no. So we may may have to go back and find that Uh, (laughs) magic cats, (laughs) magic cat statues. So it writes itself yes it's it's all right there uh, so so uh yeah so that, that that's that's what I had so hmm. um interesting you know again not not kind of a, of of the level of of uh cultural uh relevance that, that the Greeks maintain but I'm gonna go with Anubis on this one I feel like the the things that you you outlined uh a little hard-hitting that novel maybe Topped the the twenty twenty mini series. Yeah, that was uh, that I was able to find. <laughs> I think, uh, it is available in English translation. I can't believe it's
1: flying off the shelves, but in the Lebanese market, it did very well. So okay, yeah, I think I think I will join you. I think it's close, uh and there's some really good entrance on the other side, but I think uh, Anubis just takes the edge for me.
0: Yeah, no, I I I, th- I think that that's that's right. And I, I really look, you know, I'm if I'd been able to find that Bastet. Uh, brewing company beer here in the local area. I, oh. I, I might have, it might have swayed me, but uh, it remains a mystery. So can't give. It yeah, I can't credit. say
1: I know much about the Tampa brewing scene.
0: No, uh. <laughs> no, maybe we'll have a road trip down there. There you go, <laughs> <laughs> just for that. All right, so we are all. That means, of course, Matt, we are all tied up, heading into the final Ooh. round, final deciding round, which the is pressure the- is mounting, the tension is high. Yes, the ever important uh, and, and very soundly chosen <laughs> matinee idol. Yes, when We decide whose life story w- would be uh, translated into the best TV miniseries or movie. Uh, and uh, I believe I'm, g- I'm going to go first on this one. Um, okay. So... You know, kind of lots of different ways uh, I felt like I could have gone with this. Uh, You know, it could have been a cat lady who haunts men's dreams. Uh, Obviously, just going with with Catwoman take was tempting. Uh, But actually, that that relationship, uh, the good sister, bad sister relationship with her sister Sekhmet kind of called me back. Oh, sure. So, I have in mind this character of uh, uh, Catherine Bastet. Who's a homicide detective so we open on a grizzly murder scene where a couple of drug dealers and their girlfriends have been torn to pieces there's blood splatter is everywhere the forensic team is on site uh find a couple stray fingers not attached to uh any of the corpses but they do have a couple of bite marks in them so Mm. grizzly scene detective Bastet, we learn is is dedicated uh, she's there to serve and protect. Uh, she's also happens to be married to a hipster pot- pottery o- artist and has a couple kids. Um, but in the course of the show, uh, more grisly and apparently vigilante-inspired murders turn up, often with you know collateral casualties all around, mm. just in in a bit of a wild scene. So, uh, and these we find out are actually often connected to cases that Detective Bastet was herself investigating oh, so interesting and then at the same time she begins to suspect that that hipster pottery husband is cheating on her okay. especially when she finds some hotel charges on her credit card <laughs> and some risque undergarments <laughs> back of her closet so in addition to her police investigation she starts tailing her husband hoping to find out who this mystery woman is. However, eventually the investigations cross paths when detective Bastet realizes that the mystery woman that her husband is sleeping with may also be the vigilante killer. Oh my. and And is using her case files to find her victims. All of which culminates in a climactic scene where she, uh, confronts the vigilante woman who looks startlingly like her a fight ensues uh where eventually uh bastet gets the gun uh from from the woman and shoots her only to realize that she herself is also the vigilante killer
1: what It is twist
0: upon twist. Now it's twist upon twist. So that aspect of her is just another side of her. Wow, so a little little Fight Club in there.
1: I was going to say a little Tyler Durden. What 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 uh, what what becomes of the uh, the pottery would be uh, cheating husband? Does he get away scot free?
0: It was his wife the whole time.
1: <laughs> so he wasn't cheating on her. He wasn't. Was her. Yeah, she didn't know. She that's she right.
0: that that's the other twist.
1: That's pretty good. I that's that's fascinating. I think that that's very very marketable. You could sell that tomorrow. Yes, all right out, outstanding. Well, it's a tough act to follow, but uh, let all me right. see Let's what I can out. do. So, I think you use the word "interpreted" in teeing up the category. Yes, there's, <laughs> there's, there's sometimes a bit of uh, poetic license, a creative yeah. license that goes into some of these 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 framings. Uh, you know, and and when I thought about it, 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 as honorable as Anubis is, and as much as we can admire a character who, you know, does embalming guard cemeteries <laughs> may not be as much of a gripping film or, or limited series. And, and, you right. know, frankly, I think modern day audiences could also have a hard time identifying with a hero that has, you know, like the, the head of a jackal. <laughs> um, So for the purposes of, of this matinee idol installment, I drew inspiration from that Marvel comic version of Anubis okay. that I mentioned briefly, who, dealt with a madman who was causing dogs to attack rich people in New York city. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's in the Marvel comic book record. So it's, it's, uh, it's in the Canon. Um, and, but I figured since, you know, Anubis was such a bad guy in later interpretations, I'm going to make him the villain. So he is actually the villain. He's Anubis is the bad guy. He's the madman. Uh, and now we've got ourselves a movie. So we open with our, our jackal headed protagonist, anti-hero if you like. And he's, he's sort of bemoaning his life. He hasn't had a good upbringing He's thinking about his incestuous conception being the bastard of the, the wrong brother-sister combo yeah. in the family, uh, <laughs> the unmarried ones. But he's, he's doing his best. He's plugging along. He's working an overnight security gig at a New York cemetery, but barely making ends meet. As you can imagine, Anubis is also unlucky in love. We assume it probably has something to do with him having the head of a jackal. <laughs> it certainly doesn't help. So one night at his kind of lowest point, he's sitting in his C.D. Brock studio apartment just seething against his fellow New Yorkers who just have what he doesn't. They've got wealth and they've got love. And suddenly he just breaks his silence with it, it, and he howls into the night in despair. Of course, being sort of both dog and wolf as as a jackal, it's a natural thing. And he howls into the night, but he hears something surprising come back at him. He hears, in return, the howling of the roughly 600,000 fellow canines across the city in unison who all howl back at him. And at a certain point, it just becomes too much deafening. So Anubis just yells, silence. And as soon as he does, all the dogs obey. So he realizes in that moment, that yes, this humble security worker now knows he has a godlike power to control the mind of every dog in New York City. So he makes it his mission in that moment to exact his revenge on all the people who have what he doesn't, the richest folks in New York. So he casts that spell the next morning. All across the Upper East Side, we see this montage of shih tzus, teacup chihuahuas, (laughs) little Yorkshire terriers, all suddenly activated by their new master. And one after another, in this montage, they savagely attack their fancy-pants billionaire owners, and inspired by the carnivorous nature of the jackal, they also make a meal out of them. So they not only uh, attack them, but dine out on them as well. Now, this catches on across all five boroughs throughout the morning to all types of dogs, big, small. They emerge from penthouses and and townhouses, those skinny little billionaire skyscrapers, all with their fangs drenched in the blood of the the very well-to-do of New York City. Not only that, but of course, the dogs take a cue from the the, the, the legend of Anubis that we know about, and at first decide to brand their victims with, you guessed it, hot rods. So (laughs) that's a little extra added bonus, giving them those marks uh, Mm -hmm. as revenge. But some of the more ambitious uh, murder pooches then double down, and they flay their victims, and they wear their billionaires' hides <laughs> as a cloak. So nice. It's really quite a scene. It's like, wow, that's a quite a winter cape you've got there. Wait a minute, is that a golden Goldman Sachs partner? You wear what is that? <laughs> and who are you wearing Miss? Is 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 that Ralph Lauren? It's like, yes, I am actually wearing Ralph Lauren. <laughs> so, with the help of his mind-controlled dog army. Anubis really starts to get his revenge and he's finding his stride in this newfound role as as a supervillain, but the rich people who survive ultimately figure out what's happening. And as rich people do, they they immediately make a plan B because they're pretty industrious that way. So to avoid getting killed and eaten by their dogs, some barricade themselves inside their, their luxury residences to avoid dogs at all costs. There are others who really love dogs and can't bear to be away from them. So they give away all their money so they're no longer vulnerable to attack. So no longer rich, the dogs won't touch them. Um, There are still others who can't safely be around dogs, but they need somebody so they become cat people. (laughs) And at that point, nobody ever sees or understands them again. So so they kind of fade off. We follow Anubis throughout the, the, the movie as he executes this plan. And by the end, Every rich jerk in town is either dead or, or eaten, or hidden away forever, or no longer moneyed and living happier lives among the normal folk. And everybody in New York who's left realizes, wow, without the richy Riches, this place is like a hundred times better now. And the prices go down, the rents become affordable. Uh, the mayor jacks up the taxes for the rich who are barricaded inside their apartment because they have no choice to pay them, unless the city, you know, threaten to release the hounds on them. So. Eventually, it's discovered, not only is this a much better New York, but it is uncovered that Anubis, our once humble security guard at the, at the uh, graveyard, is the mastermind behind this dramatic improvement. And so he becomes very popular. He becomes the toast of the town. He's celebrated by both the men who are left in New York and the beasts who mm-hmm. he's influenced. And because of that, he even manages to find love in his newfound popularity. So he gets everything he always wanted until the final scene. Because some rich guy, some tech billionaire, decides to create a GoFundMe account in Anubis's name, he gets all his rich friends to pour billions of dollars into it. So suddenly, Anubis is new, is newly wealthy, a billionaire <laughs> himself, and because of that, in a tragic twist for our anti-hero, his army of ravenous dogs has no choice but to devour him as well, because he is now a rich person. So. As in all stories, the rich people end up on top. But what a what a ride it is to get there in the end. So see the new feature film uh, entitled I Let the Dogs Out, uh, which will be streaming soon on Animal Planet after dark.
0: Excellent. There you go. There, you go. there we go. Some dense, <laughs> rich storytelling. That is some that is some storytelling. That's, <laughs> so you thought you had that, some that, twists. The communist canine, yeah. <laughs> subtitle um I, I think you know I uh as, as sociologically interesting as that is uh I think uh I'm gonna go with Bastet on 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 this one uh myself I think I
1: as much as I do appreciate the plot twists and 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 the uh the unpredictable ending of yours uh I think I'm gonna go with Anubis
0: which I think that brings us to a tie
1: brings us to a tie do we have the tiebreaker
0: uh i'm gonna have to fire that up (laughs) uh but i should should have it here in we haven't had to
1: resort to the tiebreaker in some time
0: no no that's true i have to uh, remember where i put it so uh (laughs) and so i will invoke the fates fate button is to be invoked here
1: we go anubis anubis is the winner anubis is the winner According to the fates, as articulated through an Excel spreadsheet.
0: Yes. So there we have it. Our our first tie of of the season. Yes. Closest battle yet, obviously. Uh, But it came out with Anubis, the dutiful hound protecting bodies, is going to move on with that chance for the Golden Ale. Very good. Well- Well Well-deserved at the end of a hard day, perhaps.
1: Indeed. and. uh... A tough fought battle it was. Well, that will wrap it up for us. We are sh- slowly but surely assembling a-, a new pantheon for our final competition to end the season uh, coming up in in the episodes ahead. But for now, that will be a wrap on episode five. Uh, slight victory by Anubis in a gripping tiebreaker. Yeah. Um, we'll leave it there. Our thanks, as always, uh, to the great Andy Snow for our theme music. As always, this podcast, as you well know by now, millions of listeners, is available through a number of platforms through which you receive it. Uh, Also a reminder of our playlist, the the Spotify playlist, new for season two, where two specially selected songs for each episode will be posted when the show drops. So don't miss it. The official God versus God playlist, season two, rock like an Egyptian (laughs) on Spotify. Uh, That should do it, Andrew. Thank you, as always. And we will see each other one of these days, uh, but not soon enough, coming up in the months ahead. In the meantime, we will devote our attention where it belongs to preparing for episode six of God versus God, coming to you very soon. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye.